everybody, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me, as always, we've got Mr. Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? Good. How are you doing? It's nice and sunny, and I did that thing where I said good, and then immediately said, how are you doing? And it sort of it takes... It, it just it's it's like a tennis racket conversation it's not a good way to start a podcast i'm sorry you should probably talk to rob now uh how are you rob uh pretty good i think that's the appropriate way to respond to that inquiry uh i'm, all, I'm now terrified <laughs> of like am i gonna do that thing where i like ask the question right back uh i i've wrapped up drive to survive and realized i'm out of drive to survive and there's yeah. no more f1 happening <laughs> Uh, and now the real lean times are setting in. This is, this is like when the enemy army, like you see them complete their first siege line and you're like, oh, okay, sure. No racing at all anymore. Huh? Okay. I, well, I that- think it was the, the, the last, cause these are the final four episodes. There's a lot of them talking about the 2020 season in this one. <laughs> and it's, I think that's what made me miss it the most. There is a, um, at one point during the ending, Christian Horner's like 2020 is poised to be the biggest uh, season in F1 history or something like that. And I saw that thing before I even saw the episode. I saw that going around on a Twitter account called Images That Precede Unfortunate Events. Uh, and when I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, that is that that might have been where the curse was, uh, you know, was was made. Uh, if you've somehow just found Formula One in this cursed season, um we uh, we recorded an episode for newbies that explains the whole sport uh, under the assumption that we would have a full season this year. Um, so uh, it's a little, I guess, uh, unuseful currently, but if you'd still like some context, Formula One, that's episode 96. Um, also, the show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shiftf1, where every month we uh, release bonus podcasts exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films, primers for their series, and other weird stuff. So if you want to support the show and get access to all of that, uh, along with early access to our video content that we do over on YouTube, uh, head over to patreon.com slash shiftf1, uh, or click the link in the show notes. What's going on in Patreon land this month, Danny? Uh, I think we said it last week, but this month's uh, episode for patrons of the podcast was the uppity, the Willie T. Ribs story. Uh, I think it's the longest patroning podcast we've done. There was a lot to, to talk about in that one. Uh, and then, obviously, on the weekend was the date that China was meant to happen, the Chinese Grand Prix. So last week, myself and Drew um, hurriedly uh, put together a, a China ch- track walk. So that's now available to watch. Uh, early access people had it on Friday, I think, and then it went up publicly on youtube.com slash shift f1 you can go check out me driving around china and enjoying the empty stands uh yes so um as uh, as we mentioned this this podcast format um for the foreseeable future is a little different from what we don't normally do so instead of having pre-race and post-race episodes uh we've been alternating news updates and email episodes with um episodes that review the most recent season of netflix's uh f1 series drive to survive as sort of a way to keep that f1 spirit alive during our dark race carless times um (laughs) so if you'd like to send us some emails for those email podcasts um you can do so at shift of one podcast at gmail.com uh but again like we said this is a netflix episode so uh the last netflix episode we're gonna have to figure out what we're gonna do after this uh but the, the following episode will be another news update uh and email episode so um yeah, I think uh, we should just kick it off. So for our uh, our video recaps, uh, Danny takes us through those. So why don't you uh, kick us off there, 
Maestro. Sure. Uh, this is, like uh, Drew said, this is the third episode uh, we have done on the second series of Netflix's F1 docuseries Drive to Survive. Uh, there is 10 episodes per season this year as there was last year. So this being the final episode means we will be covering four episodes, the four final episodes. Um, and kind of similar to last year, the f- much of the sort of more interesting stuff happened in the, the earlier episodes. Uh, but um, there's a, still a lot of interesting things to talk about here. Uh, structurally, this is where the sort of the big change between season one and season two is most obvious. Season one was very much a chronological story of the 2018 season, um, with sort of some of the arcs culminating in the final episodes. Uh, Because season two, uh, I think wisely, it sounds like from how the three of us have been talking about it, has decided to focus each episode on a particular arc or team or issue um, far more than the, the first season did, even though it did a little bit. Uh, we kind of have a, a little bit of a mismatch of of episodes that are focused on some late game uh, drama with some of the teams uh, and then some sort of like end of the season, um, I guess, wrap up stuff. So the four episodes we're going to talk about today are uh, episode seven, Seeing Red, which is predominantly about Ferrari. Um, episode eight, Musical Chairs, which is predominantly about Renault's... Um, I guess, wheeling and dealing with Nico Hulkenberg and Esteban Ocon. Um, episode 9, Blood, Sweat and Tears, which is the sad Williams episode. Every season we get a sad Williams episode. And uh, episode <laughs> 10, Checkered Flag, which uh, predominantly focuses on the uh, second to last uh, race of the season, Interlagos. So some of them are have a bit more meat on the bone. Personally, I feel like episode 7, Seeing Red, is perhaps the slimmest picking uh on on this this four episode uh, uh jaunt uh and uh i guess to to get into it it sort of opens with the introduction to ferrari for people who don't know ferrari which is ferrari are important they've won a lot of races <laughs> did you know they signed a 17 year old last year or a young person um and i think unfortunately for the producers it looks like because they didn't actually shadow either Ferrari or Mercedes in the previous season, this year they shadowed Mercedes during the perfect race, which was the German Grand Prix. Uh, The race that they chose to shadow Ferrari for this year was Austin, which kind of ended up being a bit of a... There wasn't too much that happened. There was kind of a little bit of drama. Um, But what the episode sort of does is it introduces us to Austin, and then while it will come back to it, it immediately centers on probably the most important race uh, for Ferrari that season, except for Interlagos, maybe, uh, Monza, which is where um, a lot of drama happened. Uh, So before we get into the the meat and potatoes of this, what did you make of this episode, Drew, first of all? What what did you think about the the makeup and how they sort of, we dove into the Monza story? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a, a by-the-numbers um, episode or by-the-numbers Ferrari story. Everyone wants to drive here. Uh, we've got this this veteran and this young gun. Uh, here you go. Um, I think what was most interesting to me was to hear the way that um, people within the Ferrari organization characterize things like um, number one and number two drivers, um, you know, uh, Seb saying 
how he feels about uh, his teammate and Bonato saying what he thinks about his drivers, those sorts of things uh, that um, for people like us is, is fun to read between the lines on. Um, but aside from that, yeah, it's sort of a, it's sort of an, uh, it's a good introduction to Ferrari, but for me, uh, not a lot of new stuff here. How about you, Rob? Yeah, I think uh, for me... The Ferrari police are coming for Rob. They, they know he's going to shit talk Ferrari. Well, yeah, and also just a, dr- a downpour just blew in, uh, like, out of nowhere. <laughs> so it's really... Oh, it's the outside. rain police. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think for as eventful as the Ferrari season was, it is shocking how boring this, this episode is. Uh, and you almost feel it from the start. Like, when you open on the two dudes sitting in the uh, courtesy car that Ferrari's provided for them to get around the track on, on, on the weekend, and, like, discussing music that's just on the radio in the car, and then driving, like, 50 feet, uh, to, you know, into the press area for the circuit whatever and like all that sets up is the observation that these two guys are of different generations and you've spent like a minute of your documentary on that like immediately you know like oh you didn't get shit like like there is there is very little coming here and i think part of it is the conflict the obvious conflict between them is not or the, or the salient difference is not actually their age. You know what I mean? I think this is, they try to frame it as here's Leclerc. He's the young gun. He's, you know, he's, he's here to take down the old man. And uh, Seb thought he was going to be mentor and all that. I don't know how much all of that is strictly true. It's just the way things have shaken out. Like, I'm not even sure that Seb really wants or thought he was going to be a mentor. I'm not sure Seb cares. You don't get, you don't get the impression that he feels any way at all about Charles. Uh, and so like you end up with kind of a, their actual conflicts is just the, the classic F1 conflict of the teammates do like are realizing that they're most competitive with each other. Uh, the only driver they're really capable of besting is the guy driving the twin car. Uh, but that is something that they say for, for all that this is a series that really loves to emphasize that first you want to beat your teammate. They seem really intent on, again, like moving in that reality show direction that they sometimes move in, which is, you know, Charles is the young gun and Seb doesn't know what to make of it. And it's funny, even later in the episode, they go back to the dudes in the car talking about the radio and then Charles admits he doesn't know 90s music. He doesn't, you know what I mean? It's the, it's the weird, like, even that conflict of what the two guys listen to. The generational stuff doesn't even fall along that way. Neither of them care that much about music. It's, it, there's just, it's hardly, the yeah. contrast doesn't exist, but they're, like, desperately reaching to try to draw one. Yeah, you can, there, there's a sense the further you get into this episode um, that they didn't have that much access with Ferrari full stop. Like probably outside of those interviews, we don't get a lot of the, you know, the pit lane stuff, the in the, the garage stuff. Like the, none of that really comes into it all that much. And um, we don't have Benato like mic'd up. I don't think during any of those segments. Um, yeah, not really. No, you've I, got. I mean, the two quotes that stood out to me. Um, at the front were Vettel talking about uh, Charles and saying, um, we fight very hard on track, but off track, I would be very disappointed if there would be the wrong mm. sort of energy going around, which is like, okay, yeah, that's sort of direct, like, we're we're here to do a job. Uh, 
And then um, Leclerc saying that when I signed for Ferrari, Mattia made it quite clear that Seb was the number one and I was the number two, and that I completely understand. And so the the you would sort of expect from the way that the episodes of this documentary have gone before that you would present this sort of, um, you know, the ostensible narrative uh, on the surface narrative and then sort of subvert that with like things that has that happen later in the episode. But that doesn't really happen. I mean, you kind of like you get some incidents here, but I don't know whether it's because they just don't have the um, the access to Ferrari to be able to pull up those quotes the way they can do with, you know, Haas or somebody. Um, or if it's just like it's if we can just take this at face value the way that Ferrari is. I, I was actually kind of struck um, the at Matteo Bonato's demeanor in this because mm. he is so um cool like he is not uh he doesn't really seem like that fiery sort of uh intense Medi- team mediterranean principal. sort of like like well, that. I, I mean like you would you would get with uh steiner you know like directly right. uh ass- you know verbally assaulting his drivers uh or horner with that sort of like understated but still very pointed and 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 precise he's got a headmaster vibe yeah yeah he does with with the glasses and then yeah he doesn't his normal conversational tone of voice sounds like it's just a few decibels lower than most people are speaking so you kind of end up having to like he feels like somebody you have to really pay attention to because he's not speaking up for you um but yeah, he's the kind of guy who would be um, not upset but disappointed. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 it's like chalk and cheese with Maurizio Arriva Bene. You know what I mean? Who who kind of was that more? Yes, in your face, loud, passionate kind of person. Well, it's actually so like one of the raps on Arriva Bene though was that also he's very withdrawn. Like he didn't want to be like you know the press didn't like him because he wouldn't give you access because right. he didn't want to talk yeah. to the press. Uh, and so Arriva Bene, like I think looked like such a central casting team principal, particularly Ferrari team principal. Um, and then in a lot of ways, Bonato seems like a central casting engineer uh, type. He looks like, you know, put him in a lab coat, right? You can imagine him coming out wait arms waving and being like, I've solved it. Uh, but <laughs> I, I think one, of, but, but again, we don't have, we don't have the access to really dig into the interesting questions here. Like you wouldn't yeah. know from watching this episode, how much Seb's problems in this season that they're covering predate the arrival of uh, Charles Leclerc, right? Like, yeah. like the thing they can't really even get into is like, there's actually been a slide with, with Seb of bad luck, misjudgment that significantly predates the, the fact that he now has an in-house rival. We don't get into that. And because we don't get into that, we don't really get into what makes things like the debacle at Monza so dramatic. It's not that it's not that Leclerc, uh, you know, bested Vettel that day. It is like it is that Vettel made such a surprising mistake. But I don't know if like were they even not allowed to ask some of these questions? You get a hint later in the Williams episode that like there's pre-approval with with questions. There's there's a list. I was surprised. Yeah. So I am sure there was a raft of things they couldn't really broach with Ferrari. And so we end up telling a version of, of the Ferrari season 
that I think is actually less insightful and less informative than you'd have gotten just watching the race. You know what I mean? Like, you know more from watching the broadcasts than you mm-hmm. do from yeah. seeing this episode. The one thing I found really interesting uh, is a scene about midway through where the press is starting to really focus on this issue of strife between the drivers. Uh, I think this is mm-hmm. like, they cover the Singapore, uh, you know, switcheroo. Uh, and whoever their PR uh, handler is, is trying to say like, hey, let's try to squelch this. Like anything you guys can do to show that you guys are simpatico, uh, that there's no bad blood. She's joking about, you know, just, you know, kiss each other, whatever. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't fly. Like the reaction is so frosty between both these drivers. And that was the one moment where I was like, this does seem genuine, right? This, this notion that like, here's the PR person parachuting in to try to be like, yeah, we can, right. You know, we can turn the page on this. We can, we can write, rewrite the story. And neither of these guys is interested in that. Think what does Vettel say? He says maybe we could start by holding hands or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let me just get through uh, or, or kind of um, get through the 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 cycle of events that happen because it's it is like you said it's 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 very much a sort of a montage of you know this is what happened earlier. Here's the more interesting moments that happened that we're not going to talk about uh, for whatever reason. Um, they go to Monza. Obviously, Ferrari had not won there since 2010. Sebastian Vettel has a, an unforced error in, in the end of Sector 2 where he spins. Um, he all takes out uh, Lance Stroll in the process of trying to regain entry. They, For the sake of, we don't see much of Lance Stroll in this uh, season full stop, but they don't even show him actually doing the same thing to Danny Kivan a couple of seconds later. Um we see uh, Leclerc fighting with Hamilton and eventually winning. Uh, of course, probably the most important moment probably for both drivers and or certainly for the team in, in the season was them finally getting to win in front of the Tifosi in Monza. Um, then, like Rob said, they showed Singapore, which was when uh, Leclerc was brought into the pits and Sebastian was able to get ahead of him on track and Leclerc wasn't very happy. And then the next thing we saw uh, was the Sochi race where Vettel effectively sort of argued his way into keeping position and then made it impossible for um, uh, Leclerc to pass. Uh, and then basically once Leclerc's tires were kind of like not in the zone anymore, uh, Vettel managed to retain position just by being the number one driver and, and having broad shoulders uh, both on the track and, and with the team. Uh, and then we're, we return to Austin. There's a little bit of drama with Leclerc's um, power unit, which popped, I guess, in practice three. They're trying to get ready for quali. Spoilers, they do. Seb gets second. Leclerc gets fourth. Um, and then they show the race. And I'm not even sure if, like, is there much really to talk about here even? even? Like, the end result being that Leclerc got fourth, which is where he qualified, and Vettel had to retire because he had a, I think it was an issue with the rear left suspension, the wishbone or something, which went early in the race, even though he didn't touch anyone. He was confused. He was getting gobbled up by everyone. And then before he got to the DRS zone, I think it was the turn right before that, after the S's, it just snapped, right? Um, yeah. And, and and that was, there was no like, there was no arc, right? It, it wasn't like what they said in Monza showed here. Like Leclerc did come forth. He did better, best him, but because of something that wasn't even Vettel making a mistake. Like it, it wasn't like he hit someone even. Like it was right. completely out of his control. 
I mean, I think Will Buxton tries his darndest to get a uh, <laughs> to get some drama going here. Yeah. Um, in the sense that he he sort of says that drivers take it where they can get it. Like Vettel sort of screwed Leclerc uh, at Sochi, right? Because um, you know they the mentality of a driver is to just scrape points wherever they can, uh, regardless of you know being nice. Um, and so that sort of does a good job of establishing Leclerc as like this underdog with something to prove, um, which I guess he does then in Austin by finishing ahead of Vettel, who goes out with a suspension failure. Like it's kind of, I could see what they were going for. They just, you're right. We, we don't have uh, the footage really to back it up. Um, and I, I think... Um, like you've said before, Rob, this this season seems to be going more in the reality show direction. Um, and I don't necessarily think that that's altogether bad because if the goal of this is to introduce people to Formula One and give them a broad sense of the narratives, uh, I think it's successful at that. I, I think how big the narratives are in reality is uh, certainly different than what's presented, but... Um, at least it translates to then watching the season for real because uh, people will be able to pick up where the show left off. I mean, it's sort of this cartoon version, uh, but mm. at least it's it does translate a little bit. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of all I have on this episode. Yeah, I mean, it, without access, I don't know what you're supposed to do. Uh, yeah. Like, maybe you have to go in the reality show direction because... You know that is a, that is a very specific editing style. There's a lot of tricks you can do with music cues and cuts to like you know you can cut up a silence right to make it look like two people are like sort of. I mean that's PR, they do it. that PR they do thing, it. Uh, that yeah. PR scene. I, I I can't help but wonder like what. Give me the uncut shot and is yeah. it remotely the same? Yeah, and like, but I think the the thing that is because because what for me is the gold standard of not doing any injustice to the complexity of F1, but also bringing the drama across, it remained like Grand Prix driver over on Amazon where I still believe they probably lucked into it, but you have there, you basically see the McLaren organization entering terminal crisis uh, with that leadership team and they don't know it. You're like, this is the moment where, where it all becomes happen. Yeah. And so it all becomes clear that, this has gone really, really badly. And knowing what we know now where, you know, Ron Dennis had completely changed the organizational organizational structure to more of, I guess what you call like an agile uh, teams type setup. Um, you know, that becomes all a lot more interesting, but I think a thing I remember because you brought up Buxton, Buxton sometimes appears in the series <laughs> as the worst version of the guy he was on uh, NBC Sports as well, where the guy who would jam the narrative down your throat, the guy who would be like, be like, here, I'm going to turn these people into characters in my head. He's the Basel gonna... exposition of of this season. Yeah, and series. so yeah, and so you get him basically like speaking as if he's Sebastian Vettel about like, I'll be damned if I let my rookie teammate, uh, you know, supplant me, but we've seen none of that heat from Vettel. Maybe, maybe that's an accurate read. Maybe it isn't. I just, I, I don't know enough about Vettel. Uh, but 
I was thinking about that moment in comparison with uh, late in Grand Prix Driver. There's the sequence where they go to, like, basically they shoot a dinner with a bunch of old F1 journos as they try to puzzle out, like, what happened here? Like, why is the McLaren-Honda relationship completely and utterly cursed? And rather than seeing, having someone come along and be, like, the narrator who mind-reads what these characters are, are talking about, here we get a more honest conversation between, like, subject matter experts uh, who are just trying to assess, like, you know, they've all watched F1 for 30 years. Why isn't this Honda thing working? Uh, and I think that's probably that's the way I'd prefer to see it handled, right? Like, I, like that is a place where I'd prefer to see things examined in their complexity rather than have Will Buxton come along and be like, you know, if F one were a comic book, here's what Vettel's thought bubble would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I feel like if they wanted to lean into this idea of the two of them being you know, against each other, which I, I, I'm I totally agreeing with both of you. It feels like whatever is going on with Vettel at Ferrari, because there's nothing going really going on with Leclerc. He had a good season. Uh, he doesn't seem to really have much of an issue with... I, like, when I think about Vettel or him last year, I think him and Verstappen was probably more of a of a fight going yeah. on there. Um, so, but if you want... Yeah, I think Vettel's issues have more to do with Vettel and Vettel's head and his, you know, trying to... You know, they touched on, you know, he wanted to drive for Ferrari. He wanted to be the German driver in the red car, like, and he hasn't been. And he was a four-time world champion, and he hasn't been here. He's been floundering in second place. So, or they have been second place. He's been in third place a lot of the time. So, if they wanted to have that arc, I don't know why they didn't pull Interlagos into this. Because that is the inflection point what the the intro to this surely was the monza thing it sets the new sort of narrative of they're up against each other perhaps this austin thing ends up being a little touch point in it whereas like he's doing really well and vettel's just like he's getting more frustrated luck isn't even with him even when he's driving okay just random acts of god fuck up the back of his car and he gets out of it so then why isn't the moment in Interlagos when he just gets, like, he's he's just that little bit too frustrated and he wants him to get out of the way and he taps him and then that's that's the that's the end of the arc. Like, I, it, it's yeah. not a very good one because it doesn't, the driver's... For Ferrari. Well, I mean, it, just in terms of an, like a narrative arc, it's not like, you know, you wouldn't write it, but it's something. It's like, it, at the start, you had a young driver and a driver in the ascendancy or a, a, an inexperienced driver and an experienced driver. And then by the end, you have the experienced driver doing something really stupid, taking them both out. Like, at least there you have it. So yeah, I don't know it, why, like, because in other episodes, they've done the thing where they've talked about a race and then in the next episode, they've gone back. Like, we don't care about that lack of chronological consistency. Like, that's fine. So I don't know why they didn't do it, especially as in the last episode, when they bring Interlagos in, it's like a weird footnote that almost feels like they stepped out of their story to talk about Ferrari, and then there's, they came back. There's a really good point here, which I think there's a, sometimes an airlessness to the series, that, like, beginning with their observation that it's really Verstappen and, uh, and Leclerc that's Leclerc, the interesting right. story here. But the way they do the season is they talk about these things as intra-team. Like, ah, this is the Mercedes episode. Right. But you're you're right. Like, if you're going to be talking about Vettel, like, I suspect there's no way he's going to be open and honest about his struggles, right? Like, I think, I, I'm trying to think, like, how many documentaries do you see with a current competitor that really confronts the tenuousness 
of that mo- like i'm try- i'm racking my brain to, to to you know if if those things exist right if those documentaries uh exist um but the uh, but it does feel like there's a missed opportunity to bring in some context from other teams and other drivers like if you want to talk about Vettel let's go on with him uh the Interlagos clash is certainly reminiscent of his clashes with Mark Webber uh, mm. at times. Yeah. Like, I'll bet you that dude will talk about Sebastian Vettel. Absolutely. I'll bet you that dude will <laughs> happily, and with probably a great deal of knowledge of the man himself, like, speculate about who Sebastian Vettel is and, like, what goes on in his head in the heat of the moment. And maybe that would be a little gossipy. I don't care. I want to hear it. And I think it would be a more compelling, like this is an arc in, in Vettel's career. This is a through line is that when pressed, he gets a little bit wider than there's room to be. And in the past, it's worked out for him lately. It hasn't. He, you know, he slammed, uh, he hip checked uh, Hamilton at Baku uh, a few, right. a couple years back. Yeah. And yeah, like Leclerc's rivalry is kind of her And that is a huge his driving style changed after Austria. Uh, but the series doesn't pick up on any of this. And I wonder if it's just because the way the production works, you were so confined to one team at a time that you can't go back and do that. But it, 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 I, I would posit another explanation. Yeah. I think, especially on this one, I imagine that this had to be cleared by Ferrari. I think they... The, the amount of because like i'd say mercedes had the same thing uh as like a proviso to get in um i wonder if some of the smaller teams like haas is the one that stands out where it's like wow well, you guys clearly didn't clear that because jesus but in this one it's for the because they end on a on a if they end on interlagos i think it makes ferrari's season look real bad and I think if they end on this, which is kind of an act of God, it, it's not so much of of an issue. Yeah. So I don't know. I wonder if that has something to do with it. Because I was, like I, like we said later in the Williams one, I was shocked at how much sort of, um, you know, clearance they were getting or how much heads up they were giving to questions and stuff, which isn't particularly, it's not, it's not that out of the ordinary, but it's not very normal either. I mean, it is, this is co-produced by Formula One. So it's yeah. it's not like this totally third party coming in and doing a, journalistic documentary it's a tv show yeah yeah so the, the one thing i would say is that the, the narrative ending in interlagos with the sort of like battle uh tending to crumble under pressure is the narrative at least that i felt throughout that 2019 season right yeah that's true yeah it, it, that's how it felt at the end i feel like yeah you're right um, and that's kind of how they ended. Well, they don't even end it there. They end they end sort of with the dot, dot, dot of who is the number one driver kind of at the end of Austin. Like, you know, on paper, it's clearly one of them. But on results, you could argue that perhaps it, it should be somebody else or on f- how much the fans love him or whatever. So that's kind of how episode seven ends up. And we will see a bit of Interlagos later. But but it, like I said, it's kind of just a little footnote. Um, one of the Meteor episodes is the next one, Musical Chairs, um, which focuses predominantly on Renault. And actually, kind of, we already had our Daniel Ricciardo kind of episode earlier in the season. This one mostly focuses on the trials and tribulations of one Nico Alkenberg, um, or Ulkenberg, as he's uh, uh, teaching Daniel how to pronounce in the episode. Um, uh, how he has, you know, been with the team for the past three years as they sort of rose up from P9 to P4. 
um, how he has never gotten a podium. Uh, and we see the re-entering of, a, of a, an old favorite. We had Hulkenberg stuff last year as well, which is fun. But, um, you know, one of the drivers from last season who suddenly, who are like, I think a lot of people, myself included, um, really enjoyed in the show was Esteban Ocon and the sort of um, the, the bad luck shall we say, he suffered last year in losing his seat at Force India. Um, the specter of him re-entering the sport and possibly taking the seat from Nico, who is running out of contract at the end of that season, as it's happening. Uh, Daniel already has has another two years left on his, on his uh, contract while this is being recorded. And that's kind of uh, the focus of this one. We enter uh, during the Canadian Grand Prix, um, where there's a bit of uh, back and forth between Nico and Daniel, whether or not they can race or not. He's trying to overtake him on the DRS straight before the Wall of Champions. Um, he's opened up, uh, uh, he's, he's closed the gap behind him, and then his race engineer comes over and says, comes over to the radio and says, open up a two-second gap, the car's getting too hot. Um, Nico doesn't reply, and then by the time he does, he says, that's bullshit, just tell me not to race him. Um and that sort of sets the tone, I guess, for the rest of this episode. Nico trying his best to to do well in a team where he is clearly the number two driver for the new uh, hot hot stuff that they've they've hired. Um, Rob, what was your what was your feeling on this one? How it opened and sort of on where it was going. Uh, so I think it was interesting coming back to Nico. Uh, <laughs> after the year, because I, I think it has, it is like checking back in with someone and things have gotten so much worse and it's been a while yeah. and like you knew things were maybe not on the wrong, maybe things were on the wrong track last time you saw them. And now you're like, uh Oh, like this isn't good. <laughs> uh, and I, and I, I was sort of struck by how tense Nico Hulkenberg is throughout this entire thing guy does not look like he wants to have an episode of drive to survive about him yeah. uh and he i remember him being a bit more relaxed seeming when they did this last time around like with the exception of that disaster at the window store uh <laughs> where he is owned by the uh by the tweens uh Tweens is generous. Yeah, they were like seven year olds. Yeah, it was it was brutal. <laughs> uh, you know how many races have you won? Oh, uh, well, it's really hard to win a race in F one. But yeah, I was uh, I, I was struck by how grim this all felt uh, from from the start, and part of it being that clearly he sort of been put in a different place because of the arrival of uh, Ricardo. But then also just the sense that he knows there's like an 85% chance, no, like 85% chance this is not happening for him. Mm. Um, well, maybe there's still a chance with some good results that he could pull this out, but he just feels like a guy who's exhausted uh, of this fight. Yeah, I uh, this episode for me is another one of those that I found really interesting to hear people talk about other people. Yeah. Uh, Cyril, Abitable especially, because he starts the episode by saying, you know, Nico joined us when we were P9 in the championship and has seen us rise to P4. Uh, and then he says something later about, um, I would not say that Nico's suddenly been relinquished to a secondary role. He's still the Nico of before. Uh, which is... 
really illuminating, I think, um, because Daniel comes in and we learn later um, that the, well, I don't want to jump ahead, but. Um, I mean, go ahead. It's the same podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we learned that uh, Okan was promised a seat at Renault and then Daniel Ricardo jumped ship at Red Bull and that messed the whole thing up. Right. Because because Ricardo also almost went to McLaren, right? Yes. And so like I trying to pin down what a beatable really thinks uh is is fun in this episode, I guess. Or trying to see like when his mind is made up. Um but it's also makes it really awkward because there's that scene in the plane. Uh <laughs> That to me feels like one of the most manufactured ones I've seen. I think Cyril probably isn't the most like chatty, laid back dude on the best of days. He seems like he's got a pretty stressful day to day um, and he feels that pressure. But they did a lot of like, like how many cameras are in that plane with them? One, right? When is the camera ever pointing at somebody who is listening to someone else talk? Like that's not that shot. And and people, if people are talking and they have a camera in their face, they talk like they fill the space nervously. Something people don't rest with grimaces on their face when you have a fucking camera pointed at their face, and someone else is talking. Like it doesn't work that yeah. way. So like in those situations, like it did feel like one of those awkward, like you know, Cyril's talking. Like why why Cyril even decided to bring this up is like crazy. But like he's like you know. Uh, uh, I, what was the first part was like when will we get an F1 jet or a Renault F1 jet and he says when you get a podium and then um, yeah I mean you have to extrapolate a little bit and kind of look past the editing to what was what was it really like and right. it seems like this this gentle ribbing about uh, you know seat contracts and you know you know uh, whether who's going to be driving where next year but we see it uh, Toto and Russell are talking about it in the next episode right um so I like I guess it's not that uncommon, but um yeah, I just man, <laughs> I just feel for Nico. Yeah, the the I feel like I've never seen somebody be so like shook for confidence. Like just in those little conversations in the uh there's weird little bits like when he's like I can't tell if he's taking the piss or if he's serious like in we go we go to Paul Card for a very brief sojourn where they talk about you know he he like goes up to the camera and says you know what do you want you know to the camera you know like kind of being a little bit antagonistic with him you're like is this a are you whereas like the shots then are of Daniel Ricardo skipping around and signing stuff you know after doing a press thing he's like signing everything and Nico like leaves and um, the the one that really stood out to me was when they were doing, I guess it was like the Wired autocomplete uh, interview they were doing. Oh, uh-huh. um, uh, and and I don't think I've ever seen that one. Did they? What, did they publish it? I don't because I watch I don't all know. those, so I don't oh, know if really? they actually put it out. Yeah. Um, and one of the questions that comes up is like, you know, what have you won? What's your biggest success? And like, Daniel Ricardo was like being really nice and saying like, probably when I think about your career, I think about Le Mans or I think about that GP2 championship. And then Nico is like instantly self-deprecating because he's like, oh, because I've never won anything here or I've never done anything. And then like, and Daniel's kind of like, yeah, you know, like trying to rub it off. Not, and, and Nico like leans into it and goes, yeah, you fucking asshole, like joking with him. But yeah. It's like he cares more about all that stuff than everyone else. And it's like killing him. It's it's a weird thing. 
because I noticed that too. Like the Lamont thing is not nothing, right? Like right. I sort of I was thinking about this. Uh, I was watching the iRacing thing this weekend, and uh, Simon Paginot is just on a tear in indie iRacing. And I was thinking about, like, well, of course he is. Like, Paginot's been a fucking ace for years, right? Like, he's one of those, like, you know, I think he was a factory driver uh, at one point for Audi. Right. Um, <laughs> like, he's been involved with, signi- like, really uh, sophisticated endurance racing programs. The only thing that his career doesn't include is a stint in F1 uh, but beyond that, he has been, he's, you, you'd have to put him down as one of the most successful racers of this generation. That could be Hulkenberg too, right? Like right. Hulkenberg's misfortune is that the seats never broke his way. You know, he's no. always been on the bubble in F1. When you're on the bubble in F1, just because of timing, you end up in middle of the pack teams and those things, they will slowly like erode your confidence. Uh, but he does seem like a guy where all of this has gotten to him. And it's, uh, I don't know. He, he gives off a vibe of joylessness um, about the thing. But I think also part of it is because maybe he's also sussed out the game the Netflix crew is playing. Um, yeah. You know, when yeah. you see how this episode is edited, when you, see how they, when you see how they've cut it together, He's not wrong to expect that fundamentally this is a hostile documentary crew. And not even that they want to stick it to him or paint, portray him in a bad light, but they do want to tell a story and spin a certain type of narrative with him at the center of it. And that's why we do get these sort of absurd contrasts between, like, look how angry and sad he is. And look at happy-go-lucky Daniel Ricardo, which is mm. bullshit, right? Like, we yeah. know Daniel Ricardo is a deeply insecure guy, too. We know that he's haunted by these things. The entire reason he's wearing that uniform is because he suspected he could never get a fair deal uh, where he was. And that just ate at him. And so the notion that then this episode sort of goes back to this... Here's happy-go-lucky Daniel Ricardo, and he's just a good sport and just, you know, joshing with everybody. And here's Nico Hulkenberg, a loser who's angry and <laughs> like, knows he's going to get fired. <laughs> what? Nico Sulkenberg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, I don't know. It's... um. It's it's an interesting episode, but in some ways an uncomfortable one because you do feel so heavily the hand of the production on it, as well as the awareness of one of its subjects. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think the, I, I, it's funny how like observer theory is coming into, into play here. Like they, they know what the C series is now. Um, and they know how things might be spun and it's definitely affecting them a little bit. Um, we then sort of like there's a bit of a race at Polar Card and nothing really happens to be completely honest. And then we get an interesting little like uh, uh, reminder of who Esteban Ocon is. They do a little bit of a desaturated throwback to last year. Um, and then I was I remember the first time I saw this, I just being like, "Wait, Toto's his manager? Like mm-hmm. that's wild!" Like I know he's you know part of the Mercedes. He's like a test driver or whatever last year was it, but like for Toto to be his his manager, like just on the side, Toto's not busy enough being team principal for like a multi, you know, whatever six time, five time uh, uh, winning uh, team. No, I'll also just make sure that this this kid uh, gets gets his seat. Um, 
yeah, we get a little bit of a throwback to how shitty Force India was. They show that incident at Spa again. Um, and we're sort of reminded that he's he's a force uh, in it. What, what did you think about that? I was I was I didn't know about the Toto thing at all. Did I do review? Yeah, I mean, I remember like I had I, that is a fact I tend to forget, but I was aware of it, uh, which is why Toto's been so instrumental in trying to get him a seat. But I think the representation part came via him being part of the Mercedes program, right? Like mm. I don't think. I think my understanding of it was that Toto kind of took him under wing uh, as there became an issue with seats not being available. But I don't think like uh, Toto has been advancing his career from the jump. Right. (laughs) Right. I think it's, I think it's mostly that as Ocon's career entered an awkward stage, uh, Wolf took more of an active interest in trying to find this guy home. Do you think that he took him on with the understanding that they would be giving him to Renault the next year? Like, I wonder if that was almost decided. At that it sounds point. like that was decided. Yeah, I mean, that, right. that, like, Wolf, yeah. Wolf brokered that deal, and then the Ricardo thing uh, scuppered it. Right. Um, but, yeah, they, they basically... But the, but the thing where this gets so interesting is... Um, it was like this when Briatore was in the sport as well. <sighs> The dynamics of team principals repping drivers and then putting on a driver rep hat when dealing with other team principals. You know what I mean? Like that's that's where it gets interesting. This notion that like Total Wolf is on the phone with Cyril, uh, yeah. you know, in this episode, and they're discussing, you know, we should have dinner. And clearly one of the subjects of that meal is uh what are we gonna do about Esteban? And it is so interesting, like, what what are the politics of that, right? Like, clearly, Wolf does not seem to be in Mercedes team principal mode right now. Now he's right. an agent. Yeah. That's weird. I wonder if there's, like, when is there ever a clash between those two teams? Like, they're never on the same battlefield. I mean, Cyril, um, in this episode, starts with saying, like, we want to be up with the other manufacturers, Mercedes yeah. and Ferrari. Well, I want to fucking fly, you know? Right. <laughs> right. We've all got dreams. Yeah. Um, Nico wants a seat, uh, and he's he probably knows by this stage that it's not going to happen. But um, Nico uh, just wants to finish the German Grand Prix. Well, God, before that even happens, we have perhaps the most awkward oh, no. conversation of the entire series, where uh, the producer, God love him, is doing his job and and really asking him questions to the point where they actually f- keep the interactions between the producer and Nico in the uh, edit because the answers that Nico's giving are so they're about him being asked questions rather than the questions themselves. Um, he's, they're trying to get him to talk about the silly season, the sort of when everyone's, you know, everyone's contracts are up in the air, people are signing people. It's kind of like musical chairs, the name of the episode. Um, and at one stage she just kind of says, you're really breaking my balls here, man. He's like, um, you're lucky I had my first coffee or you'd be out the window right now (laughs) as he's, he's driving along the, by the way, this is all happening in his car while he's driving along the motorway. Um, and you can, yeah, like, that's the point where I was kind of like, oh, like what Rob was saying earlier about, like he knows how this is going to come across probably. Like he has very little control over it. And for somebody who has his lack of confidence, that's probably a bit of a, a nightmare scenario to be in. Um, And then the other nightmare scenario is the German Grand Prix. And when it popped up, I just kind of, I, I'd forgotten. And I just went, oh no. Because yep. 
Yep. This the is best, actually well done, though. This is, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they handled this well. And they handled it, like, pretty authentically. Even if it kind of felt like what happened to him happened near the end of the race and it happened so early in the race. Like, he was one of the first of the guys to, to fall foul of the, the drag strip. But he's at his home Grand Prix. He's never got a podium. Everyone's sick of hearing he's never got a podium, but he's never got a podium. And he's at his home Grand Prix. And also, nobody ever thinks he's going to win his home Grand Prix. He's not turning up at his home Grand Prix. People thinking, oh, it'd be great if Nico won. Like, no chance. No one's even thinking about it. And the ridiculous drag strip, which ends up taking out a bunch of people. Bota, I think Botas has an engine failure at one stage. Uh, Hulkenberg actually qualifies really well and is actually overtaking really well. And he's good in the rain. So, and he probably knows the circuit pretty well as well, let's be honest. If he's driving in Germany, he's probably uh, pretty uh, familiar with it. So, we get to the point where I think Ricardo has an engine failure. Um, mm-hmm. Nico's up into fourth. Uh, Nico's up into second and then I remember at that stage even the commentators in this rather sort of barmy race that we were enjoying suddenly realized oh he's actually driving for a position where he is he's actually like he's managed those tires well he's there wouldn't it be amazing if he got a podium like there's a lot of race left anything can happen Uh, a lot of strategy to play out weather's all over the place who knows um but but he could do it uh then we, he's in second place. Verstappen's ahead of him. The Rainmaster. Verstappen spins on the entrance to where that drag strip thing is. He loses like four and a half seconds. So Nico's like practically behind him. They go around for another lap, and the 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 pain <laughs> of watching <laughs> this of poor Hulkenberg, who let's be honest, got a lot more of the drag strip than a lot of the drivers who crashed on it. He probably went up over the curb and was on it, and then panicked to the point where he basically hit the brakes and tried to turn at the same time which was i remember martin brundle during the race saying what nico did was the thing you should absolutely not do in that situation which a bunch of other drivers tried to drive through it and out of it but he effectively locked up his wheels and just coasted into the uh, wall into the gravel tried to get himself out of it wasn't happening dug himself in and then uh, does the walk of shame with his helmet and his uh, whatever you call it, the, the Hans head. device. Yeah, the, the, was it Hans device? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, as he left. Uh, what did you make of how this was done, Rob? You're saying you liked how it was how it was uh, executed. Well, I think it's effectively told, right? Like as you say, this is Hulkenberg crashing out was not a particularly dramatic moment in that race, but. In the context of what it signified for Hulkenberg, it's huge. And I think there's some very good editing around that. Uh, God, the brutal cut of him growing up in uh. various forms of motorsport, like building toward this moment, uh, you know, was probably his last shot at a Formula One podium. Uh, all that stuff was, was good. Um, and also, I, I do feel like this is one of the few times where the stakes might actually be what the documentary says they are. Like... If he pulled a podium position out of this thing, does that move the needle? It might. It might. He even like, says so. Yeah. He says, uh, if I get onto the podium, there's options to continue with Renault. Presumably, he's talking about his contract. Yeah. Like. Imagine I mean, his confidence, even. Right. And so, you know, the, this whole episode, he is in a place that. God, I want to say. I'm trying to think now how many jobs I've been fired from. Like, that actually count as a firing. I think only one. Mm. Um, and when you're in a job, 
like where you know you're in the death spiral there's this weird part that you just want it to be done right like you want right. the the psychological release of like i want the decision to be made for me like on some level you don't want this anymore you do not want this to be your reality and you're kind of like you're afraid of being fired but also you're craving it right you're I like me out of my misery kind of yeah, because at least then that would be a resolution. But then the thing that is really tough to deal with is that you also feel like maybe you would you could, you have agency here and you could pull this out. You could sort of redefine your terms and either exit on your own terms or uh, finish strong and maybe like avert whatever the spot or, or you know, make a save basically and uh, escape the death spiral. And I think this is where Hulkenberg feels like he is, right? And this is the moment yeah. where, you know, partly because of pure dumb luck, he has a chance here <laughs> to deliver that ridiculously good result that immediately recasts you uh, in the eyes of your boss and your peers. And it's 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 almost there for the taking. Um, but he makes a mistake. And I think that's the other brutal thing, right? is the way this ends, uh, you know, he is the one who kind of throw he is the one who kind of throws this race away. A lot of guys did, uh, you know, he's in good company in terms of people who got it wrong at, uh, you know, Hockenheim that day, but it is a really bitter pill to swallow that like, you might've also just proven the case where even setting aside that Toto Wolf was pulling strings to get a French driver onto a French team. Like there were a lot of things. There's a lot of wind at, uh, Ocon's back, but in the end, like, did you kind of do this to yourself? Yeah. And, and even outside of the, the, the seat, you think like, would it have helped him get a seat somewhere else? Would it have just been something nice to do before you bow out of F1? So, like, at least you had that. Imagine being on the podium at your home Grand Prix. Like, it's outside of the the issue with his job. It's just sad it didn't happen. Um, I think it, it hits heavier because they sort of don't really talk about, you know, the fact that he was not the only person that happened to, that there was so much more race left going on there, that there were far better drivers and better cars that were doing way sillier things like, or, or getting punished for smaller things like the Botas crash or Hamilton. Like, I guess we did see that in a, in a previous episode, so there was that. But um, yeah, just heartbreaking stuff. And, you know, if there's one... Uh, the, at the end of the episode, they basically say Ocon got the seat. Um, as fucking Cyril says, maybe he's cursed, which I thought was a bit harsh. Um, and if there is one maybe silver lining for Nico Hulkenberg and not being an F1 this year or in future years is that he won't have to deal with Drive to Survive again um <laughs> yeah it's got to be a plus for him <laughs> yeah I, I was watching that whole sequence I, I don't know if you guys get this phenomenon when you're watching replays of sports but there's kind of this like small feeling when i'm watching a replay of maybe this time yes ah yes. yeah <laughs> uh, that, that was my predominant feeling there but I, I think yeah i feel for nico i really wish this happened for him but um uh i sort of was thinking during like watching this that it's probably really really difficult to do what nico hulkenberg has done to stay in formula one that long without a podium so many other drivers have come in not gotten podiums and been kicked out so much earlier yeah. like you could argue that uh you know getting more podiums would have kept him in um 
Like, you know who else wasn't getting podiums? Renault. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. This is what the future holds for Ricardo, too, if things don't yeah, like turn 100%. around. Right? Like, especially yeah. if Ocon shows up and runs great guns, uh, you know, like in a, in a few races and suddenly like he's hot shit. Like, oh, like the narrative is going to turn on Ricardo, you know, in a, in a heartbeat. Uh, no, I, I think the other thing about Hulkenberg, too, is. Remember, there were a lot of indications he might have ended up at Haas. And I remember the story on the Haas deal that, like, fell apart. Because Cyril thought he was casting him not to the winds. He thought there were, a lot, there were a lot of hints that Cyril thought that he had a good chance of getting in at Haas. I certainly thought that was a done deal. The word was that Haas saw the ask. Like, Haas got the terms. Right. And we're like, oh, oh. Different, we can't afford that. Different, like not even. There's only so many kinds of rich energy. It's well, right, but like it's just one of those things where Hulkenberg might be one of those guys who like might be a mercenary, right? Like you know, <laughs> he might have had the career that in some ways he did want, which is that he was paid to be a good driver who probably got your program a little bit better of a result than because this is the weird thing about F1. The payment structure, like get, moving one rung up in the cha- in, you know in the constructors championship, is worth a lot of money. You will yeah. pay a driver a lot of money to get you that marginal return. Um, I always, I like, I've always kind of wondered: Did Hulkenberg ever have other opportunities, but he took money? You know what I mean? Because I, I, yeah. could, I could see that. Uh, my like, it seems like he was not desperate enough to stay in F one to basically you know go will 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 drive for ride uh you know that wasn't where he ended up so i I do also kind of wonder if in the background of this there's also a version of this where nico hulkenberg is kind of the uh consummate freelancer in some ways right where it's like this is how it goes for a guy like this no world championships but he might have banked a lot so, and like he he made a lot of like not great teams look good like like force india weren't doing well when he was there like i think to me he comes across as he seems like a really smart person he's like fluent in like five languages he's he he seems like a very intelligent person he's fairly withdrawn i think he's probably got a very simple life like the, sh- the shot of him in his little room with the picture of his dog up on the as like a partner perhaps there like he comes across as a sort of a stoic, smart dude, and I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, where he kind of decided to, look, I'm, I mightn't have, I can burn real bright in the sport and burn out, or I can, I can stick around for a while and race a lot, and he did, you know, and, and it's sad that he didn't get a podium. Guess what? In the modern F1, not a, a lot of people have not gotten podiums. And if the Mercedes Ferrari dominance, like Red Bull dominance continues, that's just going to continue to be the case. And you're right. The next thing will be when Ricardo get one. Um, you know, we're, 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 we're going, oh my God, Ferrari won at Monza. <laughs> it took right. nine yeah. years. Like, so yeah, I think maybe, maybe there's part of it, me just wanting to rewrite his history a little bit because I feel for the guy, but there is definitely another side to this where you know where he he had a long career and was consistent and it's sad that he didn't do it that well but he you know did well in another way he had a long career in a sport that 
You know, just think of people like Paul the Resta at Force India. In and out. Done. See ya. Like, he he's, he's he survived where a lot of people were, were popping in and popping out, so. And, and if he did that with a high price tag, then even better. Fair play. He was obviously worth it. Um... And that was Speaking episode of brutal. eight, Musical Chairs. Speaking of Brutal, we have our annual check-in, our misery moment with the good people over at Williams. This week starring guest guest appearing for a short time only, Paddy Lowe. Feet. Um, what'd you say? <laughs> feet. F-E-A-T dot, like a musical track. <laughs> oh yeah, feet, yeah, totally. Yeah, feet. Feet Paddy Lowe. Um, uh, oh boy, okay. Um where to start? Blood it starts so strong. Like, everyone is so pumped. Like, this is going to be our year. The car is feeling great. Claire Williams having to, or sorry, having to do the same thing all over again where she's, like, trying to protect the legacy. They don't dwell on it too much this year because they obviously spent all of last year's episode doing it. Um, but, yeah, they had a really terrible season last year. But, hey, guess what? Paddy Lowe's in. Paddy Lowe was the one who cheated F1 regulations for Williams in the past. <laughs> he worked at Mercedes. He's man with the plan. He's coming in to fix the engine. Why is nothing done on time? It seems like there are just the nerves in the entire opening setup is basically them firing up the engine for the first time. Claire going around saying, hi to everyone. Paddy's there. He's looking at the engine. He's walking around the engine and he's looking at it. And all this is going on. Um, and... Uh, people nervously saying, hopefully we've learned. And then we get a sort of a quick little introduction to who George Russell and Robert Kubica are, which I think we can just kind of glaze over. It's a lot of them saying like we're a long way behind everyone else. Um, and then they get to the sort of the, the meat and potatoes of this episode, which is that Paddy Lowe says there are 101 different issues with the cars. Stuff like there's an issue with the diffuser. Um, they're, they don't have wheel nuts for the wheels. Uh, lots of the components are having small problems. They lost affected. track of a pin. Yeah, they just lost track of a pin. And Claire's face. I, Claire's know. face. That should be the thumbnail for the videos. Claire's face when he said that. It's just like like she's like she does that like head twist like what, <laughs> like what, a pug. What, 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 yeah, like huh? Um, and then we turn up at Barcelona, and we get a really good shot of an empty Williams garage. Um. I remember when this all happened, Rob having a lot to say at this when we were covering this on the podcast. Uh, what was your feeling about the, this whole intro, Rob? And then also the Claire flying in with the equipment and the awkward back and I forth with her shit. and Paddy. I lost my shit. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm never going to get over the image of her getting out of her uh, rental van with the... Uh, air pop packaged uh aero components and taking those Bubble out wrap of the front wing seat. oh my god it, it was the most like showing up late to a con uh with stuff jammed inside like poster tubes like oh god the energy was just terrible uh and then just the uh, inability to engage with patty low uh you know as this fucking car is delivered um but in term but uh, the frustrating thing in this is I still don't know why this happened. Yeah. Like, what the fuck happened? Because where this thing is going to take us is this whole, like, whose responsibility is it? I don't know, but I would hope a documentary might posit an answer, uh, you know, with the benefit (laughs) of a year of hindsight. Like, what happened here? Because you look at the Williams facility, we don't have a lot of comparison points, right? It certainly looks 
advanced. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a lot of fabrication machines, uh, very modern looking ones. It looks like a modern cutting edge aerospace workplace. Clean floors. Yeah. So what is the issue? Is it that they just don't have anywhere near the production capacity? to do what they're trying to do, right? Like, you see these machines. Is that all the machines they got? Are they basically trying to produce equipment in serial rather than parallel because they don't have enough machines to run? Yeah. I mean, you see a guy hold up a part and say, uh, how many of these we got? One. We have one of these. <laughs> don't right. take it. Right. So, like, how does that happen? You get, like, this, honestly, I, I think the frustrating, I think the series could be more nerdy. I think it could dare to be more nerdy. Yeah. I think this is a place where an infographic explaining like production capacity versus parts requirements could be really helpful because at some point Patty Lowe's like we need 20,000 parts uh, that we were on the hook for. And right there, how many parts is Haas on the hook for given that they're sort of notoriously buying stuff mm. uh, you know, from the market and getting a lot of their stuff from other teams? Like what is the scale of the challenge that Williams has undertaken here? And then what resources do they have to actually meet it? This appears to be you're, cause you're kind of left. You don't know. Did what happened reflect just a gross incompetence where you had the facilities, you just misused them and everything turned, turned to crap or is Williams kind of a team and a family in such denial about what it takes to, do what they've historically done, which is price their own car. Yeah. Is the denial still so deep that even though they sort of came to Jesus on like, you know, getting your own, getting, you know, buying an engine from someone else, even though they did all that, are they still trying to bite off way more than they can chew? And do they not really recognize that it's harder to produce? There are more of those parts now and they are harder to produce than they were 10, 15 years ago because they're all lighter. They're all more sophisticated. Um, we don't know, and it really frustrates me that we don't know. What's what I found frustrating was the interview, the little small press conference he did, where he's like, "Wow, there's a lot of people here," and they're like, "Yeah, no shit, Patty, there's a lot of people here." He turned up <laughs> to practice two days late, um, and the question is asked, you know, what happened, basically, and he's like, "Oh, there's got to be a lot of investigating," and, and that's like that's bullshit. We know what happened. Like, only a number of things happened, either. Paddy didn't was like in charge of planning the car and didn't and nobody was in charge of planning the 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 fabrication of it and the timeline and all that sort of stuff or they were hoping to buy stuff in and they didn't or, like it's clear that there was a difference of opinion or there was miscommunication about something which led to this taking so long or there was a role everyone knows or at least they have an opinion on it they might there might be two different stories out of this but we hear no stories and that's like so annoying like like i wonder if they were worried about litigation or contracts because yeah. like patty went on family leave or something it's all bullshit he was fired right. right so like that's i think was the frustrating part was and then of course they they have our friend will buxton come in to sort of like do the simplified bye bye patty because yeah, because he was fired because he didn't take responsibility. Like that's not that's a very simplified version of what happened as well, you know. Right. Responsibility for what, Will? Like right. that's yeah. Like where was the failure point? Like because Patty Lowe, as they say, he has the resume. Like with the exception of the overblown uh, espionage controversy, like the guy is one of the most respected engineers in like modern F one history. 
Probably cost Williams a lot of money to hire him. Yeah. So how does it come to this? Like, it does. Was he just not cut out for the big chair, or did he get to Williams and realize, like, oh shit, you know that? Like, these. Are, this is. I'm dying mm. to know this, and I just don't. There's a couple small indications. Um, again, tough to know what they mean, but he says early in the episode that we have uh, made changes to the team, uh, our technical approach. And Claire says he has stripped everything back to the basics. Um, so there's oh, that. Scary. Like, it could yeah. have been a fundamental, like, depth charge to the organization of Williams uh, that they weren't prepared for, perhaps. Uh, and then another real telling thing to me is, again, it's, it's, t- it's tough to tell how this is edited. So at what point does this um, soundbite show up in the real timeline? But someone is, is an engineer is basically telling Claire... It's not, things aren't going to be ready. Uh, and she looks flabbergasted. Like, she's just learning of this now? Yeah. Why? Why? What? How does that happen? And you wonder, like, how does that happen? Is is she the type of person who was there? It looks like there's a lot of middle managers there. There's a lot of people in a lot of meetings doing a lot of things. I wonder if no, it's not coming up high enough. The, the people are protecting her <laughs> or she's not... How involved is more. she is in the other part of the engineering business too? Because this, this is the other thing is like that that company is partly being floated by a successful like Williams Advanced Engineering business mm. that was doing non racing shit, and so how much of the stuff we see is also on call for an entirely different business. How much is Claire's uh, attention diverted to this stuff? Like, because I I don't get the visual that they're that they're a small team. You know what I mean? Like, it's clear that they don't have any of the funding that a lot of these other teams have. But like, also like all the opening shots of this thing are like, oh, look at this slick setup they have. It it just seems like like it didn't work. Like there was there was no consistency to the narrative they were telling here. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where I like I would like to know again what does it take? Like, if this is what Williams has to bring to bear on it. What does the Ferrari factory look like? Yeah. What does How do they fall short? Right. Like, is there just one factory where this stuff is being produced? Or are there multiple fab facilities that are specializing in different components and really only their headquarters is assembling and designing shit? I don't know, but I'm really curious because Williams certainly from the outside looks like a decent, you know, looking engineering operation. But maybe for the scale of what F1 is these days, it's completely Potemkin. You know, it's mm. here's look at our look at our beautiful fab machines. We have four. Our fab fab machines. Yeah, but it, you know, it turns out you like it turns out a modern team needs twenty. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a shame we don't get any of, and, and presumably they know because they have been to a lot of these places. Or yeah, it seems like some of this stuff could have been explained with a couple of questions, not even prying questions. Like it, it, it seemed like you could have shed a bit more light on it. Uh, there's there's not a lot of meat on this one either to be completely honest we kind of we go to silverstone silverstone's supposed to be a big deal for them and obviously they just they're 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 crap right they're 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 crap the car is bad we get i don't get i don't think robert kubica says a thing in this whole episode we get a bit of george russell talking with toto about getting a seat there you know claire sort of being like oh i wish we weren't a place i wish we could keep drivers and keep them happy like totally absolutely but mm, that's not, i thought that's the not. claire thing was so much more interesting than that do you remember what she Wait, actually says is this to her husband in the car yeah 
when she starts, like, they're driving into Silverstone, and she's partly, like, caught up in the mystique of the place, but also she's like, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of drivers. I'm sick of people leaving right. us and going off. And just this weird, like... Spray my ashes here today. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bit of that. Like, there's a lot of sentimentality. But yeah. But also a massive amount of bitterness about the entire thing. I thought the I thought the thing about sick of drivers leaving us, like people having, mm-hmm. you know, getting their start with us and having these great careers with with other teams uh was a really interesting and revealing way to put that, right? Because like drivers are leaving like certainly drivers right now are fleeing Williams because there's nothing there. It's it's a dead end. But I mean, it's kind of the recurring problem is for for a long time there. Like Williams has been a good team to develop your career as a driver, but you're right. not going to drive to the front. And it's been five six years before they you know since they were uh, you know even remotely competitive. But it was so interesting that Claire now seems to look at someone like uh, George Russell, and she looks at him and she's like, "You're like you'll betray us too." That's why you hire a Robert Kubica, right? That's a safe bet of somebody who's just you're doing them a favor almost. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The, the the there's not you know it's just a lot of George Russell complaining about stuff, which you can't blame him for. And then I think the line that sort of summed it up for me was when she turned to her father and said, "We were only laughed once, which makes a change." And he's Oof. not sure. I feel like if she's saying it as a joke, or I think she's half saying it. She's saying it both as a joke and also as a statement of fact. That that was nice, that their driver only got overtaken once, um, or lapped once. Um, yeah, and then we get to this rather revealing part right at the end, where they finish up the interview and she says, you didn't ask me the last question about if Williams has a future. So presumably she's been given a little prep sheet of the questions ahead of time, and then she tells the interviewer to ask her this question. <laughs> it seems like a bit of role reversal. And then she gives a relatively boring answer. That we're fighters, we'll continue to fight in this sport for many years to come. Obviously, you know, given the current day context of the pandemic, we will have to see whether that is the case. Williams is certainly one of the more exposed uh, teams in that regard. Um, but it, 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 the whole thing just felt like a bit of a. Remember last year? Remember how bad it was at Williams? Yep, it's the same. It's still bad. Maybe it's worse. Yeah. I just feel so addicted to watching this family's fortunes uh, just continue to implode. Like, between Williams and the two seasons of Drive to Survive, we got a really, like, awful arc that yeah. we can follow here. Especially because, like, it also recasts moments like the hug between her and Frank. Where he's like, did you get that? To the documentary crew, and it's so brutal. He's like, yeah, this is the shot where Claire hugs me. And it's like, God, Frank, you're such a prick. Yeah. Like you are such a fucking asshole. Yeah. It's wild. It's a uh I don't know. At least again, just like Nico Hulkenberg, at least there won't be an episode of Drive to Survive on Williams uh next year. The final episode we have to check in on is a bit more uplifting than the previous three, you could argue. The <laughs> the three of them were kind of downers. Um and it's because we have an arc, ladies and gentlemen, people of all descriptions. We're opening up on a Pierre couple, Gasly. A couple of triumphant ones. A couple. There's a couple. There's a sad moment too in there. But there's. But there's. Uh, there's. We open up with Ivan Drago, 
who has unfinished business with Red Bull, and he is jonesing to get back in that car. Uh, Pierre Gasly is now with Toro Rosso. Um, they ask him about it. He says, it was surpri- I'm surprised. I was surprised I was fired. It wasn't what they told me. Frank Toss turns up, and he's like, hey, you know what? He wasn't confident in that car, but he'll be, he's, well, getting back in the, in the, in the Toro, what do you call him? Alphatari? Thank God. Thank, thanks, coronavirus, for that one. We didn't have to say <laughs> Alphatari all this year. Um, and, uh, and then, and, and we get a nice little bit of a check in with Alexander Alban, who now lives in Monaco, presumably, so he doesn't have to pay tax. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and he's doing really well. They're really impressed with Alban. He's probably keeping his seat. Um, I think actually before Interlagos, they have said that he is keeping his seat in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're off to Interlagos, the Brazilian Grand Prix. Everyone's really excited. And um, then we see Zach Brown with sitting down with two people who I presume are his children, but just look like clones of him. That are <laughs> <laughs> a little bit younger. Uh, yeah, they're not his th- children. That'd be really strange. <laughs> well, yeah, why did you think of Zach Brown's uh, doppelganger children? <laughs> Uh, I, I forgot, um, <laughs> that signs started the Brazilian Grand Prix from the back. Yeah. Me too. I totally forgot it. What happened? Was it a, uh, it must have been Qualifying an Qualifying problem. Yeah. Um, oh, he just didn't set a time or he, he it must, it must've been an engine or something. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't He didn't recall. start from the pits, right? He started at last. I think, yeah, from, from last yeah. place. Um, I like, I, I love Zach Brown. I love the back and forth between him and practically anyone. Like, I know he's just like a wheeler dealer, but he's funny. He, he's talking about how I, he's got to be fit like Carlos Sainz and how he, like, he, he was working out so he could be fit like Carlos and he hurt his back. <laughs> and Carlos is like, mm. <laughs> Also, I mean, he does seem more relaxed and a little more genuine than he seemed back in the uh, Grand Prix driver days. And I do wonder yeah. now, like, did we meet this dude seriously at the worst point in his career where, like, he's coming into the house that Ron Dennis built and there's right. black yeah. mold all over the house. <laughs> <laughs> and like at this point, you know, he's got the partnership with Honda. It's working out well. He's got two drivers who are not Fernando Alonso. Yeah. Uh, and oh. I imagine the stress level is probably a bit lower uh, once that's your reality. You know, you only have to deal with Fernando once a year when he wants to go race at Indy. <laughs> right. Um. So I guess the, the, the way this is set up for us is we're kind of predominantly looking at three drivers. We're looking at Alexander Albon in his Red Bull. We're looking at Pierre Gasly in his Toro Rosso. And we're looking at Carlos Sainz in last place. That's kind of like the, the, the two of them against each other. And then Sainz kind of, I don't know. We kind of almost aren't sure why we're looking at Sainz. But we're looking yeah, at Sainz. He's but those place. are the perspectives uh, that we get in the, in the Brazil montage. Right. And then we're into the race. Uh, we have signs overtaking like a boss throughout. Um, Albon getting past Vettel. Yeah, uh, on a double place. Red Bull overtake. Yes, yeah, super beautiful. soft. Um, we have shots of uh, uh, Albon's mother, Nikki, looking very stressed out. Um, signs all, already up into 10th position at this stage. Uh, Botas getting out of the race. Gasly racing well. Signs past uh, Ricardo Anahas in another double overtake. Um and then we get the sort of the quick little, you know, let, oh, well, let's finish up this story a bit where we have the Ferrari incident happen. Um, Vettel and Leclerc touching each other. 
and then there's a I think they cut to a brief interview with Ferrari team principal. Uh, I think we chat to Bernardo yeah. for a couple of seconds, and then and then we're back at sort of like the you know he music gives the requisite down. like boy that's a bummer quote <laughs> yeah we, well like we get to see his paper thin glasses again which I have completely fallen in love with they're made like the this they're perfect spheres and they're like an in, like a like a centimeter wide I'm I'm a huge fan I want them um and then we we get the sort of uh, the crux of this is about those final was it three laps I think the safety car came in and we basically mm-hmm. had three laps I think. Of racing so no drs baby we're just we're gonna race uh with i think it was uh verstappen in first albon second gasly third and hamilton in fourth and then somewhere behind there is carlos Sainz. he's like he's in like six or seven maybe or something he's hanging out back there he's done really well um the race starts hamilton into albon <laughs> Think it's the yeah he passes Gasly and then yeah tries to take the inside and oh man <laughs> such a bummer I think he asks whether the car in front of him is racing I think he's wondering if why is Gasly in front of me um, and then he says yeah yeah he's racing for position Gasly wisely kind of just like doesn't really fight it he's like yeah go go ahead you're good you're good which yeah. is interesting because he's fighting Gasly is on on for a podium here but I think he kind of knows that um. He, he he doesn't overly fight Hamilton, let's say. Um, but yeah, you're right. Albon gets gets spun around. We get some really good in cockpit radio of of Albon's reaction to it, just like being like no 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 no, no. hitting his head on the wheel. His mother uh, uh, just dest- destitute. The whole f- garage just groans like it's just it's absolutely awful. Um, There's that one Red Bull guy that they the camera is always on. You know who I'm talking about? No. It's like this really... The tattoo dude? Yeah. yeah. He's oh, got yeah. this really like square looking... Like he looks like a... Mo- he's like a really attractive guy. He's got like got mm. a little scruff. He's got the uh, tattoos. He's just real... And he's like... He reacts really well too. So the camera's just... <laughs> in every Red Bull pit reaction shot, he is there. Front That's and center. awesome. Um, we got Verstappen crossing the line in first. We really draw much attention to that. We have Gasly coming in in second, fighting with Hamilton right up until oh, the. Oh, so good! The, that, that, this the drag race f- is one of yeah. the, the highlights the of the thing. season. Yeah. yeah, I think the shot between two of them. You have Gasly kind of like breathing to himself as it's happening. It, it looks like they edit it really well, so it looks like Hamilton's catching, and then he just can't. He just can't. It's like it's like something out of a like a like a cartoon or something like Rob Singer. It, it, it looks like almost fake the way. It, the drag race to that to yeah and I, I think again like when you get these really gorgeous uh high quality shots uh some of this action it really does drive home like oh these guys were like there wasn't an ounce of daylight between between them uh at this at the stage of the race like they both are basically like driving on a wire uh through <laughs> through that final quarter in lagos uh it's great stuff um his uh gasly coming in second the screams the sort of senna-esque screams um as he gets his first podium his first podium yeah yeah his first podium and on a podium for you know uh the 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 sister team you know it's he's not in a red bull um so awesome stuff then we get uh, hamilton came third obviously uh, and then signs coming in fourth and we have to be reminded from last he was plumb last when they started the race um, his cousin is happy. It's the first time we've seen that all season. He's delighted uh, in the garage. Um, Gasly talking about it's the best day of his life. He gets a really nice hug from Verstappen. Actually, I thought that was quite nice. And they actually yeah. 
they, again, they did the thing that Drew's talked a bunch about in his podcast, which is they asked somebody else about the person and they ask Verstappen about him. And he sa- he mentions confidence right away. He says like he had the pace, he had the pace, he had the, the confidence and speed. The minute he went back into that car, like he's a really good driver. He's fast. Um, uh, and he's really happy for him. And I thought that was like a nice, seemed like a genuine moment. Like Verstappen, you could tell when he's bullshitting. He kind of doesn't do it a lot. And it kind of seemed like that was like a genuine, that was a nice moment. I was really surprised by his embrace of him, actually. Um, they seemed like they probably got on pretty well. I mean, this this also does seem like a... Um, what, did he just really not agree with that Red Bull? Whatever it was about that Red Bull, like, was that yeah. just a driver a to drive car, a complete mismatch? Or was that just a... The psychology of that move uh, got to him. But, like, yeah, whatever for whatever reason, I remember, like, it was noticeable the degree to which he seemed to be a competitive driver in the Toro Rosso and just was a shell of himself in that Red Bull. Um, we get some of Alexander Albon looking close to tears and Christian Horner talking to him, obviously missing out on his first podium. Uh, Hamilton basically like putting his hands up immediately in the end of that race in the post-race interview saying like, look, that was entirely my fault. Not the type of thing if you cared about, you know, he's already won the championship by this stage anyway, right? So like he doesn't, he doesn't care. But um, if you were uh, caring about the what race control might do he probably wouldn't say that but he's basically putting his hands up and saying i'm sorry and then we get like this wonderful little bit from the mclaren garage where carlos signs is saying it's the most awkward moment of my career i have absolutely no clue how to act <laughs> because they're waiting for the podium um and, and then what did you make of it the moment where i think it's the pr person for mclaren uh or maybe one of their fixers and carlos Sainz's cousin and them talking about going up on the podium if they actually get third place. Like, mm-hmm. should they do it? Uh, I think the PR person was saying, she was saying like, oh, we don't want it to look desperate or something. And his he's cousin's like, desperate? Like, <laughs> it's, it's a podium, man. It's like he's waited his whole life to be yeah. on the podium. What the fuck are you saying desperate? Um, I think she was the, right, though. Like, I totally got what she meant. Oh, yeah. It was totally valid concern. 100%. Um, but we it would have robbed us of the wonderful shots we yeah. see at the end, which we didn't see when the race was broadcast because it was obviously much later of of not just him but the entire team up on uh, the podium um, with the with the pit wall board that said Carlos Sainz P three uh, Brazil and then had P four written under it, <laughs> which I thought was quite nice. <laughs> um, and that was the that was functionally the end of that episode we'll get to the sort of the postscript in a second but uh what did you make of 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 checkered flag the sort of the interlagos focused one it was a kind of a a nice way to end it in a way it was kind of uplifting and fun yeah i agree uh i think it's you know one of the most exciting races of the season i think they did a good job with it got some real good feel good stories out of it you know uh bummed for alvin of course but you know he's got the seat next year so looking forward to that gasly even says i'm looking forward to next year uh which you know uh <laughs> it's not great for anyone this year but the fact that he is excited to continue with Razo, i think is it's nice to hear um yeah i uh, i liked this one and i i, I like the postscript as well yeah should we just dive into it then we kind of yeah. we have a bit of a and uh, and and everyone else bit. We we kind of we there's a little bit where we we Hamilton they sort of just like show him at, at the Mercedes factory and he's, <laughs> he's messing with the automatic doors. And, yeah, I can't get past the door. And he's he, he seems like a really nice chap, like taking photographs of everyone and thanking that everyone. One, 
was really illuminating just to, to like for a glimpse into what Lewis Hamilton's life must be like. Like there's right. that guy standing next to him trying to micromanage every bit of his time. Like, time. listen, we're going to go out here. We're going to take a picture. We're going to come back inside because we need to have lunch and you're going to get mobbed out there. So you're just going to take a long time to get back. This, blah, is, blah, 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 blah. this is at the, fa- this is not like at a, at a con. This is at, I know. A, at the factory where they and all he's like work. laughing at his jokes and like, it just, I don't know. I, I couldn't, phew, I could seem seem like man. a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that. But that's we're we're talking around it. The best moments of this whole documentary series was the final few minutes where we get to check in with everyone else one last time, or for the first time. Um, Daniel Kvyat, when somebody asked him, I think it was Alban asked him, Netflix are here, and he was like, Netflix, well they ignored me, so they can fuck off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's laughing. Um, Mika Hulkenberg getting his team photograph at everyone uh, while he's everyone else wearing his hair. His, uh, his frosted right. tips, I quite like that. Uh, Gunther Steiner telling the team, next year we will be better. Wait, we must be better. He turned like an optimistic statement into an order. <laughs> Classic Gunther. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, and, then, and then they sort of, there's this weird montage where they, they talk about next season, which obviously given the benefit of hindsight is pretty funny. Um Let's. I, I'm just gonna let. I I talk too much during this home, and I'm just setting the whole thing up. I'm gonna let each of you pick out what is your favorite little moment from this because we get a little. We get cuts of everyone, people we've talked to, people we haven't talked to, uh, in this fine little montage with a real good sort of clapping soundtrack to it. I watched it a couple of times actually. It was really well done. Um, what are what are some of your your favorite moments from this final closing montage? Well, there's the one moment, but I'll I'll let you take that one. Uh, the one other one is. Magnuson saying it's tough to have a whole year almost written off. Yeah. <laughs> Which poor Mac Jesus. Oh boy. Rough year for them. Yeah. Uh I I'm it was interesting to hear the way they were like, ah, last year of unlimited spending. Uh and <laughs> the degree to which, yes, but that is that is one of the reasons why a lot of these teams are just desperate to get through this awful year and into right. the spending cap uh, version F1. And so it's a very interesting sense of there's a lot of teams that were just showing up to 2020 just to get to the other side of it and get into a version of F1 that hopefully would deal with some of the disparities uh, between the teams. Also, just to back up one second, does this seem like Daniel Ricardo might be exhausting? Like... <laughs> To manage or to just be around? Just to be around. Just to be on a team with. Like the whole he, like he, the bust like out the rigs. Yeah. yeah. Just like, man, I got fired. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. we don't need to do the, we don't need, like, not everyone needs to have this bad wig of my hair. Like, we just take the team photo and I can, I can bounce. Like, we'll be fine. There's, there's just a little bit of like, Dan Ricardo is one of those dudes who's like always goofing around. You have a choice between like choosing to find it funny and charming or to be like back the fuck off man yeah like don't <laughs> get out I think of my he's face. probably he's probably really good he makes for really good footage so i wonder what percentage of ricardo's time he is like that because we've seen serious ricardo too uh yeah but you're right i think he's he's constantly messing around but i i i think i think he injects levity into the sport where 
it previously has not have it, had a lot of it. Oh, I, mm. Yes, but I think that has so much to do with just how, again, like kind of sometimes airless F1 can feel. Like, yeah. I think yeah. Ricardo feels like a fresh breeze in some ways because so many F1 drivers, particularly those who were brought up in kind of the Schumacher mold, uh, there's this generation of, like, space aliens who drove cars. <laughs> and, uh, like, Ricardo seems to have fun with it and that like until this newest generation arrived uh you know right, Lando, yeah. uh, Verstappen, he opened the door so, and they come yeah up. yeah for sure but like it it definitely does seem that, like for instance if you're a guy like hulkenberg that phase of your career where like the stakes are real high the pressure is really on like man daniel ricardo is not a dude i want to be like goofing around with and hanging out with just because mm. like Man, you like you got it made for the time being. I'm out here fighting for my life, so maybe like <laughs> leave on. Like I yeah, need to see you juggle, man. <laughs> um, we also got a uh, we got a Lawrence Stroll, which who I guess they interviewed. Um, uh, it turns up I forget I should have written down what he said, but he he had an interesting line. It was kind of like, oh, okay, and then it cut to his uh, his son. Uh, Lance Stroll, who just has the, like, they give him like the biggest, like shit shit eating line of the whole thing, where he just says, "Diamonds are made under pressure," <laughs> which like coming from somebody who presumably had a bed made of diamonds growing up um, is perhaps <laughs> F one's uh, Archie Andrews. Yeah, to- yeah, exactly. Yeah. He does, and then he jumps into his his Scrooge McDuck uh, bath of uh, gold. Bullion. Um, and then we get um, the best moment of the entire thing, uh, which I actually have on my phone here. I'm going to try and play it and just see if hopefully the sound will be okay. And it's it is the final montage. Uh, hope when our when our when our hero talks, the music drops out. So hopefully it'll come across. Um, let me just play it here. Kimmy Raikkonen, who they have not talked to for the entire episode, just says, it's more like a hobby for me, so I don't need to do it if I don't want to. And he doesn't even get a lower third. Like, we don't even know who this guy is. No, you know who he is. We do. But, like, someone else is watching. Oh, there's a driver there who just doesn't care at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Who's that guy? Yeah, I would love to go through life like a third-term senior. Just. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. So good. I burst out laughing when I first saw that. I, it was like, and they knew exactly what they were doing. Like they yeah. cut the music and everything and just had him like say the most like Kimmy line of all time. Um, it's interesting seeing all the drivers that they didn't talk to. Like even like people who they did interview, like presumably it didn't sound like they'd actually talked to Kvyat at all. But Sergio Perez was was in that montage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Strolls, for instance, I get, you know, it'll. I can see why they can't cover everyone. It would have strained the stories even more, but um Goes to show just the the sort of the the breadth of people that they talk to um, at each team, uh, even if we don't get to see them all. And that was Strive to Survive Season 2. Gentlemen, final thoughts. I feel like we've probably talked a lot about the the, the strong points and the weak points of this one, but uh, closing arguments for and against Strive to Survive. Uh, Rob, first of all, what, what did you make of it? Overall, I think it's a much better season. Uh, I think even though the series is becoming more self-aware. I think the decision to focus on longer through lines per team uh, was a really good one. I hope that some of the... uh, Your dog disagrees. Yeah, my dog... (laughs) 
my dog was thrilled with the uh, current direction of Drive to Survive. <laughs> I hope that some of the things that we did discuss about, like, the fact that all the teams exist in a bubble within the documentary frame and aren't put in the broader context of other teams, I think, is hurting the series a bit because there's only so many variations of obviously the real tension is within the team sometimes it's not right and if that's the only narrative that your series is really set up to tell you're going to be missing some stories or misrepresenting some and also you're going to be telling variations on some really familiar and, and increasingly stale themes right like like i don't know how many times i can watch two not particularly uh competitive teammates be set up as each other's like opposite, right? Like yeah. I think there's some teams where that works. There's a lot where it just doesn't, where that just that narrative just doesn't hold. And uh right now it seems like Drive to Survive will always gravitate toward that idea of, well your teammate's your biggest rival. Yeah, until he's not. Yeah, I um I think the for me I'm seeing more behind the curtain. Uh, maybe it's just this very close analysis that we do for these things. Um, but I don't think that is, like I said before, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that, um, the, to, to, to see that, because for me, this is about having fun with it, being, you know, finding it, uh, enjoyable, um, and introducing it to other people. And, and in that respect, I think it accomplishes uh, everything it sets out to do. So, um, yeah, still, still real positive on the season or on the series and, um, looking forward to whatever they do in season three. Yeah. I'll, Who knows? I, I really hope they do something because it's, if they do, it's going to be weird. And I'm very curious to see yeah. that. Yeah, I agree. I, think I hope they're following around Chase Carey. I hope they're, you know, uh, going to Carlos signs at home and like seeing him, Work I don't out even, like I don't know how to do any of this, racing right? setup. Like, yeah, nobody can get in airplanes. Nobody can, like, no. None of those people want to be have strangers in their houses. That's uh, I I hope so. I hope we get something too, but I'm not. I mean, maybe later in the year there'll be something, but I'm not. I doubt much is going on at the moment while everyone's in lockdown, especially if they they're worried about paying people maybe as well. Um, yeah, I think I I agree with both of you guys. It was we do watch it in a weird way, Drew. Though it's kind of like we. People watch it, obviously, as a straight-up series. Like, they don't know any of this. We almost watch it as, like, the behind-the-scenes of a movie we've watched. Like, we've mm-hmm. already seen the movie play out, and this is kind of, like, a different perspective on it or, like, a little bit of more inside information. So, in many ways, I wonder, does it feel very different? to be Like, the Ferrari stuff, for instance. Like, the context of that just feels different to us. So, it's weird that this is the way they did it. Maybe it reads better if you know nothing. I, I don't really know, but... Um, yeah, I, I I do. I also agree with Rob that I hope they pull away from the sort of. There was an episode or two last year, and I think there was one this year where they they made Renault and Haas or Renault and McLaren, right? They had to go against each other, and there were they, there was some of that, but they they definitely sort of, um, you know, separated the teams a lot in this one. So it'd be interesting. I, I think I can empathize with them in a way of like at a certain point you want to stick to the format, and then this year they shifted the format a little bit, and it worked. And then next year, hopefully, I imagine that they'll, well, who knows what all what, what's going on. But the next time they do a full season, perhaps they will once again shift the format slightly. Um, it it felt less like they were having to do a lot of the what is Formula One stuff this year, which felt very predominant last year. So hopefully another step removed from it, we'll, uh, we'll get less of that again. And they can sort of let it breathe. And hopefully 
Maybe Williams will have a fun episode next year. Who knows? Or we'll f- finish the misery trifecta. Um, that's Drive to Survive. You can pick it up on Netflix. It's only on Netflix. If you're a Netflix subscriber, you can go watch it now. It's only Indeed. legally on Netflix. Uh, and as we said before, we will have a, another episode next week that will be news-focused uh, and email-focused. So if you want to send us an email, you can do so at shiftf1podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. Uh, we're also on Twitter at shiftf1podcast. I'm at Drew Scallon. That's at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. Uh, that's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world, Danny? <coughs> <coughs> Race around the digital world, ones and zeros. Uh, we've got some uh, some car-based ones and zeros. iRacing is going on Saturday. Uh, for iRacing, you racing. We all racing. For we iRacing. all racing. Um, in the <laughs> Shift F1 League put together by Corey on the Shift F1 Discord. So if you're uh, a patron, hit up the uh, Discord for that info for the Saturday race. Um Formula One is not racing this weekend, although <laughs> they did just race the, the virtual Chinese Grand Prix. Uh, and Lando Norris somehow failed to get into the virtual th- Grand Prix yet again. I think he slept in. Is that what I, I, was, I think so. He just didn't turn up. And then he like tweeted a couple of hours later, am I on time? Like, what else was he doing? He wasn't out. Like, I mean, I saw his like name go in there yeah. and then get grayed out. So I, I don't know. Well, there was a lot of complaint where George Russell was angry at the start of the race that he had been dropped back five places for doing something and right. qualifying. Um, they had damage turned to minimal. So when Carlos Sainz spun on like the first lap, he like totally ate it. But uh, he was able to, uh, you know, rejoin the race without a, with, with a front wing and everything. But it was, it was entertaining. I, I enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, well, if F1 2019, the video game, is not your thing, we got a whole bunch of iRacing going on with pro drivers. Supercars uh, today, as you were listening to this, um, uh, or I guess as uh, Wednesday post time, um, with Will Power in the rotating all-star seat. Uh, they uh, put a, a special guest every week in uh, mm. in the Supercars Championship. Verstappen was on last week. Uh, IndyCar is also racing on Saturday and looks like they are trying to get Lando Norris in for this race, which is going to be super fun if they can get that together. If you can wake up. Right. Uh, Formula E also is starting their first E-race of the season on Saturday using R-Factor. Um, and we will have, I believe, the 24 hours of the Nürburgring, which is an iRacing event on Saturday, uh, which F1 drivers like Verstappen have competed in previously. So uh, check Twitter, I guess, for that. Um, other stuff to watch. F1 continues to add classic races to their YouTube channel. They've added in the past week Spain 96, China 2018. Uh, and today, again, at 11 a.m. Pacific time, Wednesday, uh, Japan 94 will be airing um on youtube live so uh if, again if you are a part of the uh, ship to fun patreon discord it's fun to hop into the live chat channel and uh and watch that live mm. um elsewhere around the internet formula e and marbula one teamed up oh my god uh, and jack nichols the formula e commentator commentated a, a marbula no. e race yes oh my god uh full dedication to the bit by, by all involved um, oh my god they used the formula e graphics yes oh yeah. my god they used the team names oh they did qualifying this uh-huh. is up so, oh my god this i'm watching this a minute this is over yeah 
and it's it's very watchable i think it's only 13 minutes i'm so happy good. that it has like uh, like like almost half a million views this is great yeah what a wonderful creative nightmare we live in today yes uh and uh leclerc russell and norris also played euro truck simulator with their <laughs> racing sim setups which was, did uh, you see when the guy pulled really somebody stupid. pulled up and started playing the uh the 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 formula <laughs> the e F1 flute <laughs> or the, or yeah the yeah, the F1. It on was the... so off key. I could not make out that it was actually like, <laughs> boy, I don't know that I actually heard the the melody of the uh, the F1 broadcast theme. What was uh, what there. was the? It was a kazoo or something, or it was a recorder. A recorder. Oh, so funny. Great stuff. Hey, I, but like, the IndyCar iRacing shit is for real. Like yeah. in terms of yeah, it's good. The racing being convincing, it's pretty great. Like. It, it, there's a weird thing of okay you're not going to see like a fiery wreck or anything like that but in terms of like the dynamics of like once collisions begin and the way cars collect each other the way cars break traction and begin to lose it out there it all looks utterly convincing uh, and the drivers take it so incredibly seriously uh, you know it helps that the it helps that it's being broadcast by that NBC crew Uh and those guys are pros, but I think also with some of the other stuff, there's been a tendency to, um, like the uh, Velocity Esports stuff and the uh, the Race Channel and even the uh, Virtual Grand Prix. All of that can be a little bit esportsy, uh, yeah. where the ca- yeah. the, com- the casters just shoot the shit and talk over the race, but don't really commentate on it. But if you're like you're coming to this from a motorsports standpoint of like, no, I just want to see these guys race. Mm. Uh, that can be a little off-putting. The IndyCar stuff is like basically perfect. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm super bummed that we've only got like two more rounds of this left. Because um, shit, I'd watch a season of this. Especially uh-huh. because they're starting to try like uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was really fucking good at it. Uh, Lando's racing in this one. I would like it could be a really cool like pickup league for racers around the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah, agreed. I'm, I'm having a great time watching that. I haven't watched the Supercars one yet, which I really what, want to do. What was the so, one you guys were talking about in Discord that people should watch? iRacing. Twin, 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 twin Ring Twin Motegi. Ring Motegi. Okay. Yeah, that was the one this weekend. Cool. That's a good broadcast, but also it comes to a good really race. wild. Yeah, awesome. like, you know how these, you know how these old races are like long until suddenly they're not? And yeah. like 40 laps <laughs> goes by in the blink of an eye. That is kind of how this goes. Uh, and there are some wild curveballs uh, thrown at the end. But it's it's really, really good stuff. The I, I did check out the supercars. Uh, the frustrating thing, and a lot of places are doing this. They are on YouTube just uploading their Twitch VOD. Oh, yeah. And they're okay. not pulling the file off the source computer. And it's so bad. Like yeah, the virtual Grand Prix is tough to make anything out because like they might as well be driving in a heavy rain because uh, yeah. the haze effect is so bad because uh, the compression. F one F one games suffer worse from compression than any most other because half the screen is static and half the screen isn't. So compression yeah. just doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a real shame. And the supercar stuff was the same boat where it was um like the broadcast was really professional. The commentary was pretty good. The uh, the compression just made it look way jankier than mm. I think the broadcast actually was. I also I would really like to know 
if it's how cameras cameras are set up for observation in R Factor versus like iRacing, but iRacing looks like, you know, Drew you pointed this out, like the way it pulls focus, the way it tracks, like all of it looks pretty right, like in terms of how the camera follows the action. I'm not sure I, I do kind of wonder like is that a skilled operator or is this just better settings in one game versus like R factor, which does seem a little bit too locked in. Can I, can I give a bit, a bit of a shout out to F1 2019 actually, because I don't know if this is a new thing, but the, the previous race, the one I just watched, they, they added, I think they added them. A, the, the camera stuff is way better. The, the, okay. the, the, the camera spectator stuff. It's not that video gamey camera where it's like locked to like the, this, you know, XXX center of the car or whatever. Mm-hmm. It felt way more naturalistic. And I, I don't think it's as good as iRacing or anything, but it was, it felt way better. I, I feel like somebody was made responsible for fixing that whole thing up and they did a great job. Cool. Uh, all right. Well, that's uh, a whole bunch of stuff to watch since we don't have racing, but we will be back uh, again next week. Again, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash shift F1. Uh, have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow.